will Canadians be going to the polls federally this year? Will the Grits or even the NDP have a leadership change? Can Canada tackle affordability and housing shortages? And below the 49th parallel, what will November bring? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe, our first for 2024. So many questions, by far the biggest one. Will we be going to the polls this year? Our unpublished.vote question asks you, do you expect Canadians to get a federal election in 2024? Yes, no, or unsure? You can cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote. Don't forget to email your MP afterwards using the tool to tell them why you think what you do. All comments on the unpublished.ca website will be entered into a draw for a one-year membership to unpublished.ca. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. Joining us to discuss what to expect in 2024 is Daryl Brecker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. And Daryl, Justin Trudeau doesn't need to call an election before the fall of 2025. What does he risk by fulfilling his mandate? Well, and also the law obligates him to try and govern until October 2025. So what does he have to do in order to fulfill his mandate? Well, uh, he it's clearly get uh, focused on the issues that are most affecting the country, which does not seem to be the case at the moment. Uh, because when we look at the top issues that uh, are confronting the country, most of them economic, by the way, um, the government's performance numbers are not good. Um, and uh, the, what we hear the government talking about is not necessarily what Canadians want them to be talking about. Do you expect a leadership race for the Liberals before uh, the fall of 2025? Well, the Prime Minister has three options. Uh, one of them is to just ride this out and go to October 2025. It's a, it's a fairly dangerous option because at the moment, there's nothing that seems to be them moving the numbers at all. They haven't moved appreciably since the summer of, uh, of 2023. Uh, seems to have set into a very particular pattern. So he could ride out try and ride this out till October 2025, hoping that his opponents will make a mistake, hoping that some external event will cause things to change. But he's not in control of things if he does that. So um, it's a dangerous option. It's the one that everybody talks about, but it's the one that, uh, um, uh, that uh, doesn't offer him much of an opportunity to take control of things. He's just going to ride it through and hope that other errors will create this, the, the opportunity for him. The second one that he could do is to try to steal the narrative back. And you're asking in your intro whether or not we could, uh, we could have an election. And yeah, I mean, the, government, the prime minister doesn't need to wait for the government to defeat it. Defeat it. He could contrive a, a, an election just as he tried to, in two, well, he did in 2021, around an, a fundamental issue that he feels that Canadians need to vote on. What that issue would be at this moment, hard to say, but that's one way of taking things back. And the third thing, given that we're in an era of leadership politics, there's no Liberal Party at the moment outside of the persona of Justin Trudeau in the minds of voters. Uh, if you want to change the uh, change their uh, their view of the Liberal Party, probably the only other thing you can do is change the leader. So he's got those three options, and I think there's going to be a lot of conversation about all three through through uh, 2024. The the supply and management agreement with the with the NDP now dental care has been start has started, but but not pharmacare. Do you expect this to be done? Well, you know, it, it's something that uh, the NDP will be insisting on. Now, the question isn't really whether it will get done. It's if it doesn't get done, is this enough to defeat the government? So, uh, and what does done, how do you define done? <laughs> uh, yeah. at, some, uh, at some point, the NDP is going to have to decide if they're a, uh, a part of the government or they're actually a political opponent. Uh, and, uh, you know, as time gets further on, the benefits that you can, that accrue to a political party 
as a result of uh, being part of, and they don't want to call it a coalition, but it's operating like one. Um, I mean, they don't have cabinet ministers and that kind of thing. And everybody gets all sniffy about this, but you know, in the minds of the Canadians, they're, they're working together. And the reason, the, the way, the reason you see that, uh, Ed, is that, you know, normally when the liberals would go down, the NDPs would be going up and they're not. And the reason for that is because people will see them as congruent. They see them as basically operating together at the moment. So at some point, uh, um, Jagmeet Singh is going to have to find a way to separate himself from the government. So and will it be over pharmacare? It's going to have to be over something. Um, might as well be this. You know, housing and affordability, we talked about, they are the, are the key issues with, with Canadians right now. And, and, and for any party, how do they sort of increase their, increase their support uh, in talking to Canadians about addressing those issues? Well, at the moment, it's nobody really seems to be deep into practical solutions. I mean, because the practical solutions are incredibly difficult. They involve multiple levels of government. They involve lots of money, and they involve, you know, for example, lots of skilled construction professionals to to create the housing stock. It's not something that's going to be solved overnight. So um, basically, what we've got now is. Uh, uh, the Liberals saying, we feel your pain and we're trying to do something about it. And they're trying to roll out some announcements to try and demonstrate that. But unless people see real changes in their day-to-day lives, either the rent coming down or uh, houses that they didn't think that were going to be available to them before all of a sudden become available to them, probably not much of an impact. And then you've got the other side of this, which is the Conservatives who are basically saying, this is representative of everything that the, the Liberal government has done that's wrong. We're going to do something different. Uh, and by the way, we're not even really going to define what that change is in any great detail. We just say that we're going to change things and we're aligned with your concern. And that's basically where the debate is right now. You've got the Liberals trying to take it you know, back by rolling out some of these announcements that unlikely to have any impact on public opinion. And then you've got the Conservatives using this as a dagger to stab the stab the, uh, the liberals by basically saying, you know, these people who said that, uh, that, you know, they're for the middle class and those who want to join them are anything but when it comes to middle class housing. You know, uh, we are, well, the big question is, uh, do we expect an election here in Canada in 2024? Well, from your perspective, do you, do you think we're going to get it or do you have a feeling we'll get one? Well, I really, the, the first question is, are we going to have the same leader of the liberal party through all of 2024 and that's the first question um uh, yeah. and uh, so i would think by you know june or so i mean he's kind of getting in a position where he has to he has to make some sort of an announcement if it appears that he's going to be staying then the likelihood that we could have an election probably goes up you know the u.s election is expected in 2024 and of course uh when the americans sneeze we all get colds despite the legal and criminal criminal issues donald trump remains the republicans choice what would change an american lead what would a change in american leadership mean for uh the russia ukraine war well the russia ukraine war i mean they're already having problems with the republicans in the in the house of representatives in the united states and getting uh, legislation passed in order to uh, to provide funding for uh, for for the Ukrainian side in the war, uh, if Trump gets elected, he is an isolationist. What is he going to do? Uh, he hasn't really pronounced himself on that. But one thing that people do like about Donald Trump, those who do support him, is he's not a uh, uh, particularly enamored with the idea of getting the United States paying, particularly paying for 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 foreign wars. So you know, if you're uh, President Zelensky, you've got to be concerned. 
you know, we often discuss foreign affairs like that. Taiwan uh, has just reelected the Democratic Party and China is not impressed. But uh, new numbers uh, point to a drop in the population again for that country. You know, I, I wonder, and you had written this in your book, does that leave China on, on the sidelines trying to grapple with this? It makes me uh, very anxious about China because it's not expanding empires always that are the most dangerous. The contracting empires are dangerous too, and uh, the, you know the the, the point on on uh, on China is not only is the population sh shrinking. I mean, you've got 1.4 billion people. Two million is not an awful lot, but that's how much it's come down. But this was supposed to start happening in the mid 2030s, and it's it's already started happening last year. But at the same time, the the Chinese population is rapidly aging. Um, foreign involvements, uh, foreign military involvements in particular, involve young populations, not old populations. So um, as they get anxious about what their future is going to be, they may start be start running out of time if they have any imperial aspirations. So um, yeah, they're 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 pretty problematic, and, and and it's good that you raise the point of population, Ed, because population is going to become more and more of a part of the conversation about politics, because we all have declining birth rates, we all have. Uh, we all have rapidly aging populations, and this is going to have huge effects on everything from what governments focus on in terms of services, how the economy is going to operate, and even geopolitics. Yeah, I know. And, and reading your, your book on that, I'm, I'm surprised more, more governments haven't started paying attention and sort of pivoting to, to address that. It's, you know, it's, it's almost like people don't want to deal with it. Well, there's a there's kind of a meme in popular culture, and it seems to go well with the human psyche that you know we're almost like a we're almost like an infestation in, in the world, and we're going to overpopulate it, and we're going to you know destroy everything, and you know in our sight we're almost like locusts. So there's this huge desire on behalf of I call them the neo Malthusians to try and control this, the degrowth people to try and control this. Uh, but the truth is that's not what's happening with the human population. We're going to peak probably in the 2040s and we're going to decline and probably at a lower level by the end of the century, you know, we're at 8 billion now, we could be somewhere between 6 and 7 billion by the end of the, end of the century and really old. And that's a population that has yeah. a very hard time reproducing itself. So actually the population problem isn't the bomb that Paul Ehrlich talked about, it's, it's, it's the implosion. And all of it driven by choice. We're the only species on the face of the earth that has ever decided that we don't want to reproduce. Uh, instead of doing what Darwin said, competing to be able to you know, create the next generation, we're competing not to create the next generation. It's, it's bizarre. Daryl, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Ed. Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, the co-author as well of Big Shift, Empty Planet, and Next. Now, our question for you uh, this year is, will there be a federal election in 2024? Stephanie Schwinnard's Associate Professor of Political Science at Queen's University, and she joins us now. And Stephanie, Stephanie do you feel uh, Justin Trudeau will take us to the polls this year? I feel like if we're taken to the polls, it's not going to be because of Justin Trudeau. <laughs> I think it might be because of the NDP. Uh, right now, considering uh, the polls, which you were just uh, mentioning it is not in, your, in the interest of the Liberal Party to uh, <laughs> to taunt Canadians uh, with a general federal election. Uh, obviously, 12 months is a long time. It's a very long time in uh, in political terms, so things may shift. Uh, but as of right now, the outlook for the Liberals it was uh, pretty bleak, if I may say. Now, what what about uh, the chance of a Liberal leadership before? Uh, 2025. Do you see that happening? 
It's a question I think we've all been, uh, that's been in, in the back of several people's heads uh, since last year, I think, when um, it started becoming less and less clear that um, the best person to be the, the face of the Liberal Party in the next federal uh, general election is indeed Justin Trudeau. We know he's a formidable campaigner and that, you know, he he's great uh, um, on the road. He can command the room. Uh, he's very convincing. Um, and, and this is something that's uh, played uh, in favor of the Liberals in the past. Uh, and it is still unclear whether there's someone at this time, uh, despite Mr. Trudeau's uh, personal dislikability, uh, I, I guess, among uh, Canadians, that there's someone who would be a better fit for this job at this time. But uh, we also know that there's a lot of grumblings in the backbench, uh, that, mm. that there are uh, more and more caucus members that are unhappy with his leadership and that are wondering if uh, someone else uh, might be better. Uh, and of course, one person that keeps coming up again and again and again is Mark Carney, uh, whether he's going to uh, to decide to, to, to jump in or not. Obviously, there were wild rumors uh, at the end of last year as per uh, the possibility of uh, Mona Fortier to step down in uh, in Ottawa Vanier to uh, to leave empty that um, that space for for Carney to run in a by election. That didn't happen, uh, but uh, we know there will be some uh, some pretty safe seats uh, for liberals, generally speaking, coming up, such as here in Toronto, St. Paul's, with Carolyn Bennett stepping down, uh, new ambassador to Denmark. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so um, maybe Mr. Carney will be interested in uh, in trying himself out here in, in Toronto, despite the fact that uh, he lives in Ottawa, and I think he would prefer to be in Ottawa if he if he if he does decide to jump in. Uh, when we look at uh, the Liberals and, and the NDP coalition, uh, or whatever you want to call it, supply management agreement they have, uh, Jagmeet Singh is uh, obviously going to be looking at a, a leadership review next year. I, I am wondering, uh, his support has been coming down. Do you see the, the, the NDP possibly having to run another leadership race? Yeah, we saw in the last NDP uh, general congress last year that uh, his, his leadership is uh, uh, is less popular. Although it, it's still pretty high in the very high eighties, which is you know uh, which is which is still commendable uh, for him, uh, I guess. Uh, but whether or not this uh, this next year brings something new for him, or you know if he loses uh, seats again in in the next uh general election uh that's definitely something that uh that that could happen i think um i think there's uh fewer and fewer uh ndp members that are comfortable with the uh with the agreement with the liberals um we know that uh the late ed broadbent um just last year had mentioned very publicly that he thought that this agreement had lasted too long uh that it was going to benefit the ndp but that it wasn't clear that it was benefiting them anymore at this point. So um, maybe there will be uh, more and more pressure on Mr. Singh to revisit this agreement. And if he decides to to, to not, you know, heed those calls, then uh, there, there might be pressure on him to uh, start looking for a different job. But again, with the NDP, there are no clear um, opponents in uh, in uh, in a possible leadership race for for Mr. Singh. 
when there's you know a, a an obvious candidate, then it makes things a little bit difficult. But at this point, it's not clear who would uh, step up uh, to uh, to replace him in uh, in the uh, in a leadership race. Well, you had brought up uh, Ed Broadbent's past passing this week, and also new with the NDP this week was Rachel Notley, uh, Alberta NDP leader, stepping down. That's right. And I wonder if the if the party might look at her uh, support in Alberta as a possible way for that party to break in there federally. That's a very interesting question. Um, I think by and large in the rest of Canada, Mrs. Notley is a respected uh, politician. Uh, I, I think a, a lot of uh, folks uh, outside of Alberta looked at uh, the rather crappy hand she was dealt while she was premier of Alberta with uh, the price of oil, with uh, the massive fire in uh, Fort McMurray, for example, uh, that led to a, a, a massive slowing down of the Albertan economy, uh, obviously. Uh, and uh, what she managed to to do with that, and as well as the kind of relationship that she cultivated with Ottawa, that was uh, no nonsense, but perhaps a little bit less confrontational <laughs> than what we've been uh, seeing uh, of late from uh, from the Alberta premiership, uh, both under Mr. Kenny and uh, the present premier. So it's um, so it, it's an interesting question. However. Uh, from what I've heard from her, I'm not sure this is the job that she wants. Uh, so it's uh, uh, it's it's not clear whether she'd be even interested in applying for the job in the first place. Provincially in Canada, BC, Saskatchewan, and New Brunswick all going to the polls uh, this year. What could the results of those mean federally? Um, it could mean a lot of uh, a lot of different things. Uh, if I'm taking the New Brunswick example, for example, uh, and, and I'm 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 using this one because uh, Atlantic Canada is not usually a huge ideological battlefield. Um, both the the Liberals and the Progressive Conservatives are usually actually pretty close ideologically. But what we've been seeing from Premier Blaine Higgs in the last little bit is a, a, a very uh, explicit turn to the right, uh, both. Uh, on uh, a cultural basis. And we've been seeing this from him for the past few years in how confrontational he was with respect to the Acadian and Francophone population in the province, but more recently on religious basis. Uh, he's really inviting an American wall culture war, so to speak, in, in New Brunswick, uh, which is something we haven't seen in that province in a very long time uh, with things such as policy uh, 713, and the uh, very explicit endorsement of a, 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 a conservative from the religious right fringe um, in um, in one of the uh, one of the the writings in uh, Bay of Fundy, uh, so um, it leaves the possibility if he is reelected. And right now, what the polls are saying, and polls in Atlantic Canada are notoriously weak. Uh, the sample size is uh, is always too small, uh, unfortunately. But what we're seeing in the polls is a very tight race between him and Susan Holt from the Liberal Party, who's a brand new figure, really, in uh, in provincial politics. Uh, but uh, if Mr. Higgs is re-elected, I think for Mr. Trudeau, it means uh, perhaps a, a, a more strident um, adversary in Atlantic Canada, which is a place where the Liberals need to win. Uh, if the the tides turn, so to speak, and Susan Holt is elected, uh, then that might mean a little bit smoother sailing uh, for uh, for the uh, for the federal liberals on that front. 
And how do you see the U.S. election uh, affecting Canadian uh, politicians this year? Um, it's unfortunate that we have to have those conversations about the uh, the impact of an election on which Canadians have absolutely no bearing. <laughs> such yeah. a uh, such a, a huge impact in our domestic politics. Uh, but uh, it, it is uh, obviously a, uh, a pretty big concern for for a lot of Canadians to see what our uh, who, who's going to lead our biggest ally, both economically and militarily, at a time where uh, obviously there's a lot of turmoil in uh, in a lot of different places uh, around the world. Um, so what we're seeing is um, that, um, and, and Mr. Trudeau has been. I would say more candid than what we usually hear from uh, a sitting prime minister about the difficulty of a potential return of uh, Donald Trump as president of the United States uh, for the relationship with Canada and perhaps uh, the relationship uh, that he would have to uh, to cultivate uh, with uh, with his counterpart. Uh, we know that uh, that relationship when Mr. Trump was uh, number 44, uh, was uh, nothing, uh, nothing like uh, we'd seen in a, in a long time in, in terms of a rocky relationship uh, between Canada and the U.S. Uh, so we predict that this would be difficult um, if uh, there is an election in, uh, in Canada this year and Mr. Poiliev becomes prime minister, uh, then um, I think ideologically and, and culturally uh, the two might get along. A little bit better, but that doesn't mean that for um, Canadians on the day to day that this would uh, necessarily mean uh, an easier time economically, uh, for example. So uh, we we need to be, I think, uh, careful uh, to determine uh, what that means in terms of uh, in, in terms of, uh, for example, uh, e economic policy. Um, would there be yet another kind of push to uh, to revisit uh, free trade? or uh, the relationship that Canada and the U.S. Um, have uh, with respect to softwood lumber or dairy uh, or, uh, you know, difficult, um, uh, difficult trade areas uh, is, uh, is a question that's still up in the air at this point. Stephanie, I want to thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Stephanie Schwenard is Associate Professor in Political Science at Queen's University. 2024 uh, looms large for Canada on a number of fronts. Laurie Turnbull's the chair of the Public and International Affairs of Depart in the Department of Pub Political Science at Dalhousie University, and and she joins us now. and And Laurie, you feel the Liberals will build their next election strategy around climate change and the car carbon tax? Do you not see that backfiring? Oh, it might very well backfire. But I think um, I think what they want to do is find their own way to look like they are understanding the affordability crisis that people are experiencing. And they also want, I think, to go ahead with these measures around the carbon tax and around um, emissions-free cars and other aspects of, of this creating a greener supply chain, creating a greener economy, managing all the risk that's go going to go along with that. I think they do want to do all those things. And they're going to try to make it look like this is their response to the affordability crisis. Now, I say it that way. I'm not, I, when I say they're going to try to make it look that way, I'm not suggesting they're trying to do something sneaky. I'm, I'm suggesting that they need to communicate that that's where their thinking is. I think that um, they're, they've even admitted, some of the liberal MPs have admitted that their communications on the affordability crisis have not been clear. I don't think their their strategy around the carbon pricing has ever been clear either in terms of 
what the benefits are and trying to make the connection between the, 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 to the extent that that contributes to the affordability problems and then the rebate after like the communications are messy on that. So I think they, they are going to want to go all in on the climate policy as also an affordability policy as also a health policy. Like, I think they're going to try to make that a macro kind of thing. Oh, Mr. Polyab has been obviously going around the country talking about axing the tax. Is this possibly a liberal way of, of trying to maybe set up the the key issue for the for the next election, whether it's this year or 2025? I think that's it, right? Because clearly Polyev is resonating with the carbon tax. When he yells, ask, ask the tax, people respond to that. Um, he's He must be seeing that that's paying dividends for him. And so the liberals can't, you know, kind of sit on their heels and just let him have that. And so I think by maybe confronting him directly on that issue and by coming back and saying, you know what, you can say ask the tax all you want. Like here, here is our comprehensive strategy on climate policy so that we can do something about um, you know, the, the, the types of things that, that we have to do something about climate. And <laughs> so I think they're, they're going to try to kind of push on that and say, we, we have a policy, where's your policy and go at it that way. Because otherwise I think they're going to, they're going to be vulnerable. So does that mean you expect Justin Trudeau to lead the liberals into the next election? Yes. I think that if he was going to go anywhere, he would have gone by now. And I think that the, the the blood between he and uh, Polyev is bad. I think that there is a palpable uh, dislike between the two of them. I think they both want to have this competition. Uh, I can't imagine Trudeau going anywhere between now and then. We're not particularly great at leadership transition anyway. Uh, but I think now it's. I think it's probably too late. I think again, if he was going to walk, he would have. We don't see anybody putting up their hands saying, "I want it." Um, and it's not that long to the next election, right? Even if it doesn't happen until October of 2025, on one hand, on the one hand, that's a long time in politics, but not when you're trying to win a leadership and rebuild a party and do all of that. So I think he's probably going to be the guy in 2025. Yeah, uh, Pierre Polyev is obviously very strident in what he says, and I wonder if if the Liberals kind of want to push an election down to 2025, possibly. Uh, just to see if there's enough rope to hang himself, like, but to do something that, or say something that would be uh, totally something Canadians would not want to hear or support. I think, that, yeah, like, I think that there, that actually Polyev often says things that Canadians <laughs> don't necessarily want to support, but it seems that it doesn't really matter. It, like, I think there's a few things going on. I, th I think it's possible that the Liberals are waiting for him to self-destruct. And given the way time and events can move in politics and, and you know, you never know, that could happen. It could be that he has peaked pretty early, right? And and the longer this goes on, the more the shine will come off him. And maybe there was a point where he was going to, um, you know, kind of, maybe there's a point where he's going to hit a peak and that's not going to last until 2025. So maybe they're they're hoping that some of the steam comes out of this. I think they're also probably hoping that things improve you know, with respect to the economy, with respect to the housing crisis, with respect to the respect to the affordability crisis, so that they're then in a better position to ask people for a fourth mandate, which frankly is always going to be really, really hard. Uh, I think it also depends on what they're going to count as a win. Um, even if they got to the point where Polyev wasn't in a majority government position, but in a minority government position, that would be a better that would be a better place for the Liberals than the current situation, where it looks like he would walk away with a majority easily. 
So I can't, I can understand why they might want to kind of put the brakes on an election. The other thing is, I think, depending on what happens with the uh, presidential election in the U.S., anything that looks like a Trump victory would probably be a good thing for Trudeau, not from a global perspective, not from a, a relationship with a U.S. perspective, that would be messy. But from a, um, I think that Trudeau and the liberals would then float ideas around the dangers of a conservative alliance across the border. Uh, I also think it's one more thing about that. I think it's it's the way we're building parties now. The parties are so focused around the leader and not so much the values of the party. And so that's a, a that's a gamble in a lot of ways because Polyev is, although he's rising in the polls, he's a polarizing person. Mm. And I think the liberals probably think that there's a limit to how much he can grow. And I think that's probably true. You know, we look at the uh, liberal NDP supply management agreement um, you know, now the dental care plan was was approved and was getting rolled out. Uh, Pharmacare is the other part of this. If he doesn't get it, uh, do you see the NDP bouncing him out? If the NDP doesn't get Pharmacare, are they bouncing yeah. out? Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to be into the next election too. Really? Eh? I think. Yeah, I think that he's probably going to stick that out. Obviously, he's got a mandate to go and get pharmacare if it's the last thing he does kind of thing, right? He's got a mandate to break up with the liberals if he doesn't get it. I don't think it would be so bad for the liberals and the NDP to break up this year. I don't think there's going to be an election until 2025. I don't think any of them wants it until 2025 except Polyev. But I think that there is a, a scenario where the parties can continue to cooperate on confidence matters, but without the formality and without the kind of predictability of the confidence and supply agreement. If they want to make this about pharmacare, I think the NDP is in a strong position to say, if we don't get a comprehensive uh, deal in a timely fashion, we are breaking up with you and we are going to take that as our position in the next election. And I think the liberals are also in a very strong position to say, we are trying to fix the economic crisis that we're living in and we're trying to fix the affordability crisis and we're trying not to make the inflation crisis worse. And we're trying to build the economy into a stronger position. And so this is not the time for us to spend the money on a pharmacare system. Elect us again and we'll do it for you, but we're not going to do it now. I think both parties would be happy enough to go to the polls with that message. And they have to break up over something. They can't go to an election with this circumstance. I don't I don't think, right? I, I can't imagine. No. Either party wants to go into an election in a confidence and supply agreement. All they're going to get is questions about why aren't you just going to form a coalition? Like they, they need to they need to differentiate themselves or they're both going to lose. All right. We spoke about the the US election. What internationally, what other key concerns do you see for Canada in 2024? Um, I mean, certainly the situation, um, the Israel Hamas situation. I think we're going to see um I think we're going to see more of the liberals struggling to figure out where they are on that. Although now we can see uh, the prime minister pushing back with not Netanyahu saying he's, you know, again, saying he's not, not in favor of the two state solution. And so I don't know where that leaves Canada because obviously we're not a big player. We're not a big power in the world, but yet Canadians expect the prime minister to have a position on this. And we expect the government to have some um, predictability and stability in how they're responding to this. And so I think that's going to be something that the prime minister is going to have to continue to respond to. Certainly the the uh, Russia's war in Ukraine is going to continue to be um, top of mind for the prime minister and for the government. I think um, many countries this year are going to election. And yeah, 
there's there's a kind of big test, I think, on on democratic institutions, the value of elections. Uh, and I think that's getting those questions are becoming far more uh, front and center for people. Like sometimes it would just be people like me talking about democracy because like that's my thing and I love it and I will you know talk forever about elections and institutions and what it all means. But now I think we can see uh, there's something completely, um, I don't want to say like sort of ludicrous, but it is ludicrous that the United States is, con- many people are contemplating supporting a person who's got 91 criminal charges against him, including ones associated with with denying the results of the last election and inciting violence. Like Trump could, like if Iowa is any indication Trump is in a very strong position to win the Republican nomination for the presidential election. And there's how, like, how is that going to work? What What's going to happen if he wins the vote, but he can't hold the office because he's, you know, depending yeah. on what happens with all the stuff, like it's, it's crazy, but it shows um, elections can produce very strange results, particularly with such a low voter turnout. And so what are what are our ideas for how to combat these kinds of situations? And even I mean, we're in a different world here in Canada, but even in the last Ontario election, only 43.5 percent of the popular vote, vote the 43 percent of eligible voters actually voted. That I've when does that believe, become yeah. like an alarm bell for people like that's you know, and so I think and and at a certain point, it's not just a kind of obscure legitimacy crisis it's that the institutions don't work when engagement with them is so low things actually stop working and so what kind of conversation we're able to convene around that is not a strictly canadian one it's obviously a global one too so i think that's that's in the mix all right laurie i want to thank you for joining us anytime thanks for having me hey no problem you have yourself a great weekend you too Lori Turnbull is a professor in the Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Your unpublished.vote question asks you, do you expect Canadians to get a federal election in 2024? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.ca. And all comments to the unpublished.ca website will be entered into a draw for a one-year membership to unpublished.ca. You can log on and vote right now. I want to thank our guest today on the Unpublished Cafe, Daryl Bricker of Ipsos Public Affairs, Stephanie Schwinnard at Queen's University, and Lori Turnbull at Dalhousie University. I want to thank you for watching. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.